0: Welcome back to Do Theology. We are talking about secondary doctrine again today. And, Ken, I got a little bit of secondary doctrine from the headlines today. Oh, boy. Pope Francis calls tax cuts for the wealthy a sin. Shazam. Calvinism is much false doctrine as a woman preacher. Well, of course, in fundamentalism, you define everything as a gospel issue. This is a true mark of Christian maturity to discern the difference of issues. I got an idea! That's not wrong with anybody who thinks they got
1: another idea!
0: There's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1 and to what degree evolution was part of how God created things.
1: I have disagreements with him in some areas, but those are adiaphora, those are side issues, many important issues. So many Bible doctrines are ruined when we use the wrong words. This is why it's so critical that we use only the King
0: James Bible. You gotta have that right or
1: Get out of here.
0: Pray God that I don't take every minor thing and make a major thing out of it. Nothing divides like truth. I respect them as brothers in the Lord with whom I have some strong differences, but they have a big problem with me. Is there a way that we can work together? I think fundamentally we have to say yes. Christians can disagree and still kick it. All right, welcome back to Do Theology. Whoa, almost started the music again. That would have been a total disaster. Oh, dear. We saved ourselves there. Um, no, Pope Francis is uh, not somebody we turn to for any kind of guidance on secondary doctrine.
1: <laughs> or or any in any tier. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: That is, yeah. Maybe we should do a whole episode on Pope Francis. Oh, that'd be fun. I tell you, it's a word that's, uh, that's an interesting word that was... Uh, in our intro there is that word audiophria, uh, mm-hmm. which I just kind of stumbled over myself as I said that audiophria. Um, it's not a word that really gets used very much. A lot of people, that would be probably a new word for, for many, many people.
0: Yeah. Who, who says it in the intro? Is that Durbin?
1: Yeah. Jeff Durbin. Yep. So, gotcha. and I know that when uh, Todd Friel of, of Wretched Radio, when he was making a series on Christian um, liberty,
0: yeah, with uh, Phil Johnson.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, he used the word audiophria a lot and almost called the series, um, he almost called it audiophria or something like that. But it's such a, it's such a seldomly used term that he went with Christian liberty instead. Of course, that series was more focused on that third column than it was focused on actual secondary issues.
0: Yes, and what is the difference between that second column and third column, you may ask? Well, you've come to the right place. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into that, let's give a 60-second life update. Ken, what do you have going on in your life?
1: Yeah, so as uh, as I've mentioned before, we're church planting here in southern Indiana, and we've just had a Bible study in our home for, uh, for a while now, and we are in communication with a local uh, nonprofit organization. They have a meeting space that they don't use uh, for... Uh, Sunday evenings or they don't use it very often and they've been ta- uh we've been talking to them about renting it and using that for uh, our meeting space for our bible study because uh, our bible study it's really uh it's really tight to try to start fitting more people into our living room so we'd like to get that into a more a uh, better location where we have room for growth and uh more visibility to the community. So that's exciting. We should hear back from them any day now.
0: Yeah, well, um, all you listeners can pray about that, even though this is the first part of February, and I don't know when you'll be listening to this. But you know what? God lives outside of time, and so you can pray about this anytime you want. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure if that's how that works. Yeah. Uh, In my world, um, right now, we are still uh, positioned to... Uh, Be ready to adopt when um, a birth mother situation presents itself. We're still praying about that. And um, it would be really cool if by the time this podcast episode comes out, we have a fourth child. Um, That would be an amazing. uh, That'd be
1: really exciting.
0: So uh, there's that going on, um, but everything else in life is just busy still. You know, we've got, I've been working on our basement, finishing up our basement, learning all kinds of cool handyman skills there and uh, where we were able to have a Super Bowl party in there last week, and just all kinds of fun stuff. And um, pizza night is back. I ah. I pride myself on our homemade pizza. It kind of goes with the baseball season, where I get burnt out of it come uh, around October. You get burnt so, out of the baseball season? No, um, get burnt out on making homemade pizza. It's a lot of work. So
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I end up. Uh, taking a break usually. <clears throat> and, um, so I, I'm ready to get back in it now and we're going to do that. Awesome. Pizza I, night has returned.
1: Yeah, Awesome. I forgot. I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but, uh, with all the electrical stuff, did you get shocked at all in doing any of that electrical stuff?
0: Yeah, I, I told you about that. Are you bringing this up just so I could embarrass myself? No, I, <laughs> did, did you tell me? Remember that it was that three gang box with the three switches with the dimmer, and you told oh, me don't yeah. let that one wire touch the other wire. That's right. The, I remember that now. Sorry. Whatever yeah. wires, I can't remember which ones, but there was a, a pop and an arc and a, a black mark that was left. <laughs> <laughs> but it all still functioned and everything's fine. But
1: but did you get hit with that yourself, or is that it was yeah. just on the my hand okay. was in there? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. That's that's a good experience. Sure. i forgot about that sure you did i did well anyway (laughs) (laughs) all right well
0: uh, hey we're uh here secondary doctrine part two is the episode we want to go through some of the particular items that fit into the middle column or the second column regarding christian doctrine secondary doctrine but uh, before we get into the particulars let's do a really brief recap to define what secondary doctrine is, and then we'll we'll look at a few of those in particular. So wh- what do we got for a definition there, Kenny? Yes,
1: yeah, so if you remember from last time, we talked about how uh, secondary doctrine is things that uh, do not transcend hermeneutics when it comes to interpretation of Scripture. There's lots of, uh, you, when we were talking about primary doctrine, those are things that are definitional, definitional to Christianity. They transcend different hermeneutics that people bring to the text. Well, it comes to secondary doctrine. These are areas where Christians can disagree and still be Christian. And they, uh, these, are, these are things that do not transcend those hermeneutics. People bring different hermeneutical approaches to scripture and come to different conclusions on some of these issues. And they can do so without being in danger of heresy without being in danger of uh, not being a part of Christianity in a definitional sense. So
0: so kind of baked into that definition then is the idea that hermeneutics themselves are a secondary issue, but that there's nuance to that, right? Yeah. yeah. Because we can't say, well, you can just... You can use any hermeneutic you want. You can make up your own paradigm for interpreting Scripture, and it's going to be equally valid as every other paradigm. Um, That's not true. We do have listed as an item in the first column something that is primary, biblical authority. Yes. And that means that uh, the Bible is, um, what's the theological word? Perspicuity. There's perspicuity with Scripture meaning that it's clear enough to understand what God intends for us to understand in Scripture. Yet, um, there are certain paradigms that twist things that are clear to make them unclear so that uh, certain things and doctrines can be avoided. So we're not talking about that aspect. We're talking about, um, okay, in the Old Testament, um, is this prophecy to be taken literally or allegorically those are two Mm -hmm. different hermeneutics and they're equally valid which is kind of hard to say
1: yeah that i was about to say i was just like that sentence a lot a lot of people would stumble over those words as they're coming out of their mouth like they're equally valid i guess Uh,
0: (laughs) yeah so um what happens is if we value a certain hermeneutic over another hermeneutic particularly in matters of literal grammatical versus allegorical in the old testament we'll just leave it there for now um what happens is the allegorical people um which you know are typically the more reformed or amillennial or uh, postmillennial types mm-hmm. they then say that okay all the premillennial guys are heretics if we're going to if we're going to move hermeneutics all the way to the first column and the uh, premillennial or dispensational guys end up pointing fingers back and say, "No, you're heretics because you don't have the same hermeneutic as us." Right. And in reality, the they're both Christians. They just have disagreements on how to interpret, in this instance, Old Testament prophecies.
1: Yeah, and there's, a, I mean, there is there's a, a point in there that is 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 critical as well because, as we've already mentioned. You know, that doesn't mean we can bring any willy-nilly approach to Scripture and be okay. Uh, So when we say valid versus invalid hermeneutics, it'd be helpful to clarify what makes a, what's the dividing line between a hermeneutic that is valid versus one that is invalid.
0: Yeah, and do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think we kind of touched on it already, and it's uh, a hermeneutic that affirms the, the, you know, the uh, affirms and starts with the presupposition of the authority and pers- perspicuity of the scriptures mm-hmm. i think if a hermeneutic starts there that's that's a pretty good litmus test on whether or not that hermeneutic is en- going to end up being a faithful uh hermeneutic in the end even if we may disagree with because i do I have strong disagreements with uh, you know with a more allegorical or redemptive historical hermeneutic and this,
0: and this goes all the way back to origin, yeah. uh, almost 2,000 years ago, where he introduced this idea of a new plane of interpretation with Scripture. You've got what it says on the surface, and then you've got um, these deeper hidden meanings. And any hermeneutic that starts off with the primary meaning is hidden, or the um, application um, that God wants you to take from this is hidden. Um, boy um it, anyway you can just end up in some dangerous places and so uh it was important for us to just say that up front as we get into the particulars yes. of this
1: yeah of course there are yeah I, I won't go any further on that I'll just stop there that's a good that's another a good episode place. yes, yes it is yeah that's a good place to to stop with that so so with that being said um so that's there's there's some definitions for us as we begin to look at this uh, and once again, uh we've had this the the chart linked uh in the com in the description area of these uh, the youtube video um and so if you want to find that there it's available and we'll put
0: it in every podcast episode too so whatever platform you're listening on it'll be in the description there somewhere
1: perfect um so yeah it's it's there it's available if you want to see the chart that we keep referencing check out that description area and you'll see it there um we have this column and it's got all these things in here and we're going to talk about some of those today. We're not going to talk about all of them and the ones that we do talk about, there's no way we can do it full justice. You know, we're the, the goal of this episode is more to give us a flavor and just to give us a grounding for understanding how we reason through and how we identify things in this column and why a few of these things belong in this column. And hopefully that will give you a good foundation for Uh, being able to apply the principles that we're speaking of to a wider area of of doctrine. So, Okay.
0: Well, um, let's start off talking about the methods section in secondary doctrine. So there are lots of things listed here, but there's a particular section of four items that are all methods of, and these are methods of baptism, methods of communion, methods of evangelism and methods of giving. Each of those four are found in the middle column, though the concept of each one, so not the method of, but the Mm -hmm. essential concept of baptism and communion and evangelism and giving, those things are all found in the first column. So you want to explain that just a, a bit, Ken?
1: Sure. So each of the, as you mentioned, each of those things are are in that first column. As a principle, we find commands in Scripture that say we're to you know, be observing these things. So you look at uh, baptism and communion, those are ordinances that the Lord has, has commanded that we observe. And so we are obligated to observe that. That's why it's in the first column uh, in the primary doctrine and under practice. We find baptism, we find communion, because we have clear teaching in Scripture that says, "Hey, uh, do these things, <laughs> mm-hmm. right?" But at the same time, we recognize, because of differences of hermeneutics and um, and just there's not there's a there's some uh, openness in Scripture in terms of how these things are practiced. That when it comes to the actual practice of these things and how we do them, there's room for. Uh, different methods in the midst of that. Even if we think that the other people are wrong,
0: yeah, we yeah, can still and,
1: recognize them as secondary.
0: And let's start with the softest one, which is probably methods of giving. I feel like that's probably out of the four. That's the most palatable, however we want to say that. Um, sure. where, Least contentious. There you go. Um, I would say that the vast majority of those listening to this, and certainly you and I, don't believe that 10% tithing is a law for the church. Right. So, now if that is the case, that 10% is not a binding law on the church of God, then immediately we have to say what is. And we would agree in the New Testament that, You don't have a law for giving other than the concept of it, Mm -hmm. the goal to be generous and cheerful. What is generous and what is cheerful, right? (laughs) We can't quantify that from the New Testament. Therefore, there is incredible freedom when it comes to how, just how people give. And that's what these all are. They're the how of the what. The what's we can't sacrifice on, but the how all has freedom. So. Um, now you just take the way you just thought about giving, hopefully, uh, you were able to follow me with that and agree with me. Now take that and apply it to evangelism. I think that's probably the next step. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah I could see that. Then apply it to baptism and communion also. And that's when we get our pitchforks out.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> because with evangelism, it's easy or two, or easier, I suppose, than those other two, where it's like, okay, we have the principle of you know, we are witnesses. And we are to go and make disciples. Well, how are we going to do that? Uh, what is our methodology with that? Are we going to go door to door? Are we going to pass out tracts at a parade? Are we going to um, just... Are we going to preach it from the pulpit? You know, what what does that look like? And then we get into
0: apologetics. And are we yes. going to be classical or evidential or presuppositional? And
1: yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And there's discussions to be had there. That can all be faithful to honoring the principle of, we are called to be witnesses. We are called to make disciples. As long as we're observing that principle, we've checked. We've checked the primary box, and now we're dealing with the secondary. Mm -hmm. adiaphria. Yeah. See what I do there. That
0: can't be true with baptism, though, right?
1: Oh, well, you know. (laughs) Uh,
0: Now, see, so this is important. And uh, for those Baptists who are listening that might be fired up, let me just ask you uh, a question that should help us discern here. Um, Is R.C. Sproul in hell? Now, if you answered yes to that, this probably isn't the podcast for you. (laughs) I'm just going to break it to (laughs) you like that. Now, And if the answer is no, he's in heaven, well, R.C. Sproul baptized babies. That's what he did. He was Presbyterian. Um, And so did a whole bunch of other influential, helpful authors and leaders in the Christian world over the last 2,000 years. Um, Though you and I, Ken, are both very committed to The position of believer's baptism, Mm -hmm. we recognize that those who are are, our brothers and sisters in Christ can take the view that babies are to be sprinkled not as a sign of believing in the gospel and being justified, but rather as a sign of being a part of the covenant family as baptism has replaced circumcision in God's uh, economy among his people. Now, we, there are so many things in there that we say, wait, 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 I want to <laughs> debate, I want to argue, here's a Bible verse, you know, we have all those things going on in our heads, yeah yet we recognize all of those things are secondary because there are hermeneutical differences that we have that are allowed.
1: Yeah, and, and we know that, again, like I said, we, we disagree with these things, and we don't want to also diminish these things and say these things are unimportant, right? We covered that last episode as well. Secondary does not mean unimportant. Personally, I think the issue of baptism is pretty important. And yet, we recognize... It's of,
0: it's of secondary importance.
1: Yes, right.
0: Because we talked about in primary how Paul said of first importance. Right. So there's a first importance and a secondary importance, and this is secondary.
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
0: So... And, and yeah, I want to get into communion. Um, not necessarily talking about pedo communion there though. We could be, um, but communion, do you do it every week? Do you do it once a month? Do you do it once a quarter? Do you do it once a year? Uh, very different views on all of that. And personally, as from our church does it once a month and I am quite convicted when people talk about doing it once a week, uh, yeah what's my argument for not doing it every week uh, <laughs> it's not a good one <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's and it's not just uh, frequency you know there's there's methods of that as well you know where do we distribute it all and just pass the pass it out in plates or do we have everyone stand up and come forward there's the issue of intinction which is the the dipping the bread in the in the juice and
0: do you remember we did that at calvary one time yeah i do I don't know if it was more than once, but I just remember one time. It was in the old chapel building
1: at um, Blue River. Do you know why that that happened that way? No. So it that's the way that uh, there's a whole bunch of students. Okay, this is what I think happened based on my recollection, and I could be mistaken. So I just put that disclaimer out there at right okay. the beginning. But there were a whole bunch of students that attended that uh, Redeemer Church uh, in Kansas City, yep. and that's how they practiced the communion. And so at that time the student Senate, which is the ones that are kind of in charge of a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, a lot of the leaders in the student Senate all attended that church. And so they just did it okay. in accordance with, with how they did it over at that church. And it was just a different way to do communion. They just thought it was cool or something. And
0: yeah, I, I remember, I actually remember the person who was holding the cup that I dipped my bread in. Cause this is the only time in my life I've ever done it this way. And I remember that he said, Uh, Take and eat. This is the body of Christ, or something. And I I remember thinking, should you be holding a scepter (laughs) and wearing a hat or something? Because this is weird. But, but I mean, to that point, not only the method of how we did it at that chapel service, but the question of should it even have been done at a chapel service at all?
1: Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Because a chapel at a Bible college isn't a church, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no elders or deacons or a pastor. It's just a bunch of Bible college students and Faculty and staff at a school, right? So, yeah. so yeah, great wrestling through that. that we engaged yeah. in. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> yeah. Well that's that's how uh I'm pretty sure that's how that all came about because that's how they did it at that uh Redeemer Church as well, where you when you rip off the piece of bread, the person says, Christ's body broken for you. And when you dip yeah. it in, there's they say Christ's blood shed for you. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I,
0: hey, went, hey, I went I hey. went to
1: that church a couple of times. Just okay. to see what all the
0: and they were an every week kind of uh, oh
1: yeah week kind of church yep
0: okay um, well there are I would say quite probably hundreds of items that could qualify as secondary uh, this chart obviously doesn't contain hundreds there's probably fifteen to twenty listed here we can't talk about all of them I mean there's the age of the earth is on here Bible translations church government bunch of stuff on here. But uh, we've identified the four biggins. So now that we're we're kind of in the mode of thinking about what secondary doctrine is, why don't you bring up the uh, the f- the first one of the four and give us a little background on that?
1: All right, these are
0: fun. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, these aren't. We're not going to talk about these in full. These all deserve their yes. own episodes or series of episodes. So just hang in there. Don't get all uptight. Don't burst a blood vessel. Don't drive off the road. If you're listening in your car, it's going to be okay.
1: (laughs) So the first would be the issue of Calvinism versus Arminianism. Which, yeah, that's uh, just saying those words should uh, bring lots of, lots of feelings to the uh, forefront in many people, but as we look at God's Word and as we look at this, okay, are these issues of Calvinism— first of all, there's issues even just saying those words in terms of definitions. Okay, what is Calvinism? What is Arminianism? Seems like you can yeah. Inter- yeah, interview a hundred people, you come out with a hundred different definitions.
0: And I would say out of the four we're about to list, this first one is the most like that. I mean, yeah. it's, there is such a spectrum. I mean, even more so than eschatology, there is such a spectrum on this that— um, and so much nuance. I mean, yeah, because you get from one perspective that says, well, this is about whether God is sovereign or not. Uh, well, no. <laughs> and then you get the other perspective that's about, well, this is like if whether humans are robots or not. And, and no, that's not it either. So, yeah, it's a tough one.
1: it is it is it is hard to talk about in a fair way. And it's hard to talk about, like like you mentioned, to do justice to it. In a short little episode like this, where we're not spending the whole time talking about it, it just this minute, it's hard to even know where to begin to try to start unpacking it. But, I mean, just in the effort of just trying to do it in a succinct way, the issues of Calvinism and Arminianism—I think we should say that there's extremes of both of those positions that do violate primary doctrine. Yeah, yep. and that's that's pro- that's problematic.
0: Because, like uh, James White has said, the most consistent Arminian is an open theist, and that might be true. Um, but what's true, and I mean by all standards, uh, biblical standards, is that open theism is a heresy—the yeah. the idea that God doesn't know the future. And um, so, yeah, that that would be one end, and then the other end uh, can get pretty gnarly as well. And uh, but it's important to say that in between those two extremes. Because on those extremes there aren't a lot of people. No. In between there are like five hundred places you can land. Yeah. And and we have to just recognize that that this isn't uh, one or the other necessarily. It's so much nuance that that we just have to embrace it as secondary until um, it creeps up on those character of God issues.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when we look at this, the Calvinism versus Arminianism we should be approaching that with an attitude of grace uh, with to those that are going to disagree with our position on that. I I know where I stand uh, on those issues and uh, there's a lot of people that would disagree strong with me and I would disagree strongly with them. And yet can look at those individuals and say, yeah, they're, they're my brother and sister in Christ because we agree on the primary things.
0: And well, and, the thing is too, about these secondary doctrinal issues, just to to come at it from a philosophical perspective and a personal perspective. you just said, I know where I stand on these issues when more accurately it's I know where I stand on these issues today
1: yeah we,
0: we if we're all being honest with ourselves, we've all evolved in our theology in certain areas. Those things that evolve are secondary mm, things that's that a don't good point. evolve are primary, and so i five a very six, good point. Five, six years ago, I would call myself an original Arminian, going back to the remonstrance of uh, 1610, and now I call myself Calvinistic, but that's where I am today. Same goes for the next three things we're going to list. These are are nuanced issues where the more we gain biblical insights, the more we gain uh, wisdom from God's people— we're just going to change.
1: Yeah. And and uh the more people gain biblical wisdom, they'll change to be just like us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. but that's a really good point in terms of the the evolution of things because that just like you artic- articulated 6 years ago, you were not where you are right now on this, this issue. And I was not always where I am. I don't know if I have a firm timeline in my head as far as when that shift took place, but I certainly was not where I am right now. Early days of of my time at Calvary, you know, that there's, And if we
0: take that shift as that's when we got saved, then we've just elevated a secondary issue to a primary issue. Right. And, and we have to be so careful because when we first get saved, we, 99% of the time we know nothing. Mm -hmm. So we just have to recognize that, yeah, you may have learned some things in Scripture that truly deeply affect your understanding of God and the gospel, but that doesn't mean that's the first time you believed in the gospel. And and that can be hard, and that's personal. Everybody has to sort that out in their own heart, but we just need to be careful that we don't make, oh, I became a Calvinist. That's when I became a believer. That's, right. Now you've just perverted the gospel, no matter how innocent you may be or, or well-intentioned you may be and all of that you've just messed things up in a big way.
1: Yes. Amen. Was there anything more to say on that? You want to move on to the next one? (laughs) No, there's nothing more to say. (laughs) 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 That's why I said anything you want to say, because it's speak now or forever, hold your peace. (laughs) Uh Next one. Next one. All right. Uh, Dispensationalism versus covenant theology. And of course, again, once again, there's, within this. I say dispensationalism. Do I mean classical dispensationalism? Do I mean revised Ryerian dispensationalism? Do I mean progressive dispensationalism? Then there's the other new covenant theology. Progressive covenantalism is another newer system. Full-on classical covenant theology. There's all of these things. Yeah. What do we all these things even mean?
0: right and and really what's what's at the heart of it is has the church replaced israel in every way or in some ways or in no ways <laughs> okay that's kind of if you if you know where you land on that you kind of know where you are on these spectrums um we should but, we
1: should say too uh the goal of the i mean these are This category of things—the goal of dispensationalism or covenant theology, or really any of these systems—is more is seeking to understand how God has worked in the world, and uh, how has God interacted with humanity. Is it on the basis of covenants? Is it on the basis of of these? I think pretty actually probably pretty much all of them would would say that it's on the basis of covenants. It's just understanding how those covenants unfold. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's that's what these systems are designed. If, if, if anyone's listening, they're unfamiliar with all of the words I just used. Um, that's what those groups are uh, trying to wrestle with and understand. The whole of biblical history and revelation, how is God working and interacting with humanity across time? So, just wanted to mention that.
0: Yeah, yeah. and that's... <laughs> obviously that's not a small subject uh (laughs) that is that is the biggest subject that you could bring up and um but what you'll find is once you decide on your hermeneutical paradigm you'll kind of be often running in one direction and you'll find that to be consistent you don't have a ton of places to go as much as with the calvinism issue Mm -hmm. right Um, The Calvinism-Arminianism issue can be so individualized, whereas the covenant-versus-dispensationalism issue is much more denominational. It's much more um, understood through certain fixed lenses, I guess. And Mm -hmm. um, to be consistent,
1: you're really going
0: to be pigeonholed one way or the other. Right.
1: Um, Typically, um, your hermeneutic is going to directly lead to one of these positions.
0: And it's a, it's a very important conversation. I mean, many, just to give you an idea in case you're not aware, we were just talking about baptism, the difference between Baptists and Presbyterians. Baptists believe in believer's baptism. Presbyterians believe in uh, infant baptism. Now, accordingly with this, a lot of Baptists believe in dispensationalism. I would say the majority of people who call themselves Baptists are dispensationalists, at least in America. And the vast, vast majority of people who call themselves Presbyterians are going to believe in covenant theology. So they view the church very differently, too. Not just what baptism is, but what the church is and how the church should function.
1: I, I, you think all, the majority of Baptists are dispensational?
0: Yeah, the, I think the only thing that throws that off is uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, where, but even then, the majority of the SBC is dispensational. I'd, the vast majority of IFB churches
1: are dispensational, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say the definitely the vast majority of the Independent Fundamental Baptists are. I'd be, I'd be curious how that would break down in the SBC, because uh, a lot of the oh, big it, leaders—it's still
0: at least seventy percent dispensational. Has to be.
1: It could be, maybe so. I don't know. It seems like a lot of the leaders aren't dispensational. A lot of the big leaders in the SBC yeah. aren't and that i don't know is well is
0: the president jd greer was he what's his view on he probably doesn't even talk about it he's too cool to talk about yeah <laughs> <a few times. laughs> uh,
1: probably i honestly i have no idea where jd greer is on that and i don't know if i care <laughs> yeah no, I, I care. <laughs> so anyway that's that, that's just a little side tangent we don't need to go on but but yeah next yep <laughs> So, yeah, that's the issues of uh, dispensationalism versus covenant, etc. cetera. Um, sign gifts. Okay, so, yeah, number
0: three out of yeah. the four. And what do we mean by that? You want, me to, you want me to say what we mean by that? Yeah,
1: yeah, give us a uh, skinny on that.
0: Um, are Pentecostals little devils? <laughs> no, that's, that's
1: not what I mean. Uh, so,
0: Or is it? When when you look at the spiritual gifts that are listed and practiced in the New Testament in the early church, some people see a distinction in the gifts um, or categories within the gifts that put supernatural gifts um, or revelatory gifts in their own category, whereas other people see the gifts as all the same. Those who see the gifts as all the same, no categories within, they believe that all those gifts if if one of those gifts disappears they all disappear because this is just the same function for all of them with the the same intention through all time periods those who see categories within uh of many of them you and I being two of them believe that those supernatural gifts one of the categories those revelatory gifts have ceased mm-hmm. those gifts would be uh, tongues and prophecy um, not a revelatory gift but a supernatural gift would be the gift of healing or the gift of miracles all right now those gifts we believe were limited to the apostolic era the the time of the apostles on the earth and then as the apostles died so those sign gifts faded away from use in the church as God revealed all that he wanted to reveal through scripture and now that we have the completed canon, of the Bible, we do not need those gifts anymore. Is that' pretty fair.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good summation of it. And it's secondary. What yeah. on earth doesn't this go right against the first column that talks about Scripture? It can, and that's where things get dicey, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because when it comes when it comes to these these secondary things, I think this is a good a good uh, a good point to bring up the issue that even if you hold to a different position on secondary doctrine you can actually arrive at a secondary doctrinal position and in the process of arriving there violating a primary doctrine and that's that's dangerous and bad but you could also arrive at the exact same secondary doctrinal position without violating those first that first column -hmm. And so that's where we need to to kind of have. That's where that's where this really does get tricky because there are individuals who would have such a uh, such a maybe extreme view of the sign gifts where oh yeah just these you know the issues of um, if anything that comes out of my mouth while I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit well that's equal to Scripture it's from the Lord and just really uh, giving it that same weight and authority I think can be. Can be dangerous, and Robin right up against these issues of that of understanding uh, the nature of of scripture and authority and sufficiency from that first column.
0: And faith healing is a big part of that, um, tying yeah. your faith into whether or not you get healed. What did Jesus die for? Did Jesus die for Aunt Edith's bunion so that she could be healed, or did he die for the sins of the world? Right. And um, when you start messing with that stuff, these are gospel issues, and yep. um, Uh, it's very clear. Now, what we've seen in the movement today by some of the scholars, I think it's Sam Storms. Sam Storms said, um, basically, there are two categories of God's revelation, that what he says through someone or what a person thinks God is saying through him or her is not going to be on the same level of authority as the Bible. But that is an incredibly inconsistent argument every way you look at it. But right. we have to recognize, even though it's inconsistent, what he's doing is clearly separating primary from secondary and recognizing that. Yeah. Uh, so now we reject that whole argument, but we at least appreciate the fact that he's not—he's not going as far to say as if I say, "Thus saith the Lord," that's equal weight as Romans,
1: right? Right. And I think that's another really good point to bring up. With, and I had made a note of of that issue as well as. I mentioned you can arrive at a secondary conclusion by violating primary category things or by not violating those things. You can also arrive at a secondary conclusion in a way that's inconsistent with primary issues while not violating those primary issues. And that's, I would say, you know, when we, if we were to uh, spend some time talking about like the age of the earth and creationism Mm -hmm. and, and those issues, I think the issues of consistency and inconsistency really begin to show up there, but that doesn't mean that it's, uh, that it kicks the secondary issue into the primary category. So, and I just opened up a whole new can of worms. We're bringing up age of the earth. So maybe we shouldn't go there just yet. Well,
0: another episode. Yeah, we, exactly. Yep. We have yep. 400 more episodes to That's do. Best right. <laughs> things we've mentioned in this episode. Uh, <laughs> Okay, let's do number the fourth of the four. Let's let's uh, chat about it for a moment. Yeah,
1: so that's that's issues of eschatology. You want to give us the background on those two?
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, your view of end times is going to directly correlate with your understanding of dispensationalism or covenant theology. Uh, really, eschatology is an outflow of that, though it's not always consistent, and so it's important to just. You know, talk about it as its own. There are three major views that people take of the 1,000 years mentioned in Revelation 20. Uh, One of those views says that Jesus is going to return before he starts those 1,000 years. Another view says that Jesus will return after those 1,000 years, and we are perhaps in that 1,000 years right now. And a third view says uh, that 1,000 years is totally figurative. What are you two arguing about? Um, We are, the church has always been. For the last 2,000 years, that church has been in the 1,000 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is; uh, those are the three main views. Now, when you start talking about the premillennial view, meaning Jesus will return before the 1,000 years, you then have a subsection in that that talks about when the rapture will take place. Pretty much all premillennialists view the rapture as something that is in the church's future. Some believe it will take place before a period of tribulation, a seven-year tribulation. Some believe it will take place in the middle of a seven-year tribulation, and others believe it'll take place either after a seven-year literal tribulation or after a figurative tribulation that the church has always been in. And that's a pre-tribulational view, a mid-tribulational or pre-wrath view, and then a post-tribulational view. So how's that for gobbledygook?
1: Yeah, that's a uh, lot to wrap your mind around, especially if if this is new concepts to some people. It's to be like,
0: whoa. Well, oh yeah. Um, or I was, you know, someone might say I was raised in a in a pre-trib pre-mill church, and I had no idea other views existed. Yeah, <laughs> so,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Which I'm sorry that your church didn't help you think through that, but <laughs>
1: welcome to the real world. Yeah. And so we there's these different views, and once again these things are are secondary. We recognize that they are largely products of, of these different hermeneutical approaches to Scripture that are th- different valid approaches to Scripture and lead in different directions on the issues of dispensational of covenant, lead in different directions on the issues of, of uh, the millennium and the timing of Christ's return.
0: And I think um, this should be the easiest pill for people to swallow as far as the four we just talked about because yeah. These things haven't happened yet, right?
1: Right. um, Because, yeah, there's that one, uh, sorry, uh, there's that one view that you left out is is pan-millennialism. You just believe that everything's going to pan out in the end.
0: Right, Uh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is where 98% of American Christians are, I'm sure. But, but yeah, I mean, so it hasn't happened yet. It's future. Does Scripture talk about the end? Yes. Does Scripture have lots of prophecies about the return of Christ? Yes. But because it hasn't happened yet, Um, I think we can all understand why there's going to be disagreement and nuance with all of that. And to hold that as a standard of orthodoxy, boy, you just, you didn't, you'd have to be coming from a really weird place. And, and, you know, I've heard guys talk about, no one has my exact paradigm for these first, second and third columns for thinking through these things, but I've heard people talk about eschatology very frequently as secondary or tertiary. I think I heard, um, Well, I won't say that person's name or what he said, but uh, I think that most people understand that this is not a primary
1: issue. Right. While recognizing that the issue that Jesus is going to return, that is primary, because that is something which Scripture speaks to abundantly clearly, even if we're unclear about the timing. The, the, The fact that Jesus is going to come back, that's a sure reality that we can bank on.
0: Yeah and but, that's that's in the first column as listed on the the current yes. version of the chart mm-hmm. and under dogma the bodily return of christ
1: yes so so something that's a little fun exercise if you were to if you were to look at all these things in the secondary doctrine and if you were to look at all the things there and say if someone disagreed with me on every single item in that column how would you view that other person—are they still a Christian? <laughs> i sure—it would probably make a uh, odd amalgam of. It would make for an, an, an odd. Uh, I don't know what the right word is. It'd be an odd combination of things for someone to yeah. disagree with me on every single point. But if they did, where where would that leave somebody?
0: And that's and the question is, the the question that should be answered with a yes, is, if a person agreed with all the primary, and then disagreed with you on all the secondary things as listed, could you still fellowship with that person? The answer to that has to be yes, regardless of how uncomfortable that might make you feel right now. Now, does that mean you're going to go to church with them? Nope. Does that mean that you're going to do ministry with them outside of the local church? Not necessarily. But can you have biblical fellowship, recognizing this person's my brother, this person... Mm -hmm. I love, and he loves me in a brotherly way. And we have something to contribute to the church. Both of us, you should be able to do that. If you can't do that, then you're making a column error and you need to be uh, corrected. You need to repent of that.
1: Yeah. Amen. Well, so that's uh, hopefully that gives you just a little bit of a flavor of, of how to understand the secondary column and uh, why things might belong in each column and, and help you to, give a little peg, something to hang your your hat on as you try to wade through some of these theological waters. Uh, Is there anything else that you can think of right now that needs to be said before we sign off on this episode?
0: Do you know why Clint Black hangs his hat in Tennessee? I do not. Because all of his exes live in Texas. I think it was Clint Black. (laughs) Oh, George Strait. <laughs> okay, I got that. No, okay. Sorry, uh, country <laughs> music fans out there. <laughs>
1: you said something about hanging a hat. Oh, got my mind. Well, on that wonderful note. <laughs> Until next time. Do theology. Bye bye. Does that mean you have a a preloaded gotcha stumper right there where it's just like I'm not gonna know how to respond to that?